This is Bill Marshall, author of The Horse Rode Me, an afterlife treatise of drug addiction and reality. I wrote this after the death of my son David from a drug overdose in April of 2017. And I wrote it in his voice as I felt him working through me as the book began. I begin with an excerpt, the after-death journal of an American philosopher, The World View of William James by Jane Roberts. Quote, Everywhere I sense a presence or atmosphere or atmospheric presence that is well-intentioned, gentle yet powerful, and all-knowing. This seems to be a psychological presence of such stunning parts, however, that I can point to no one place and identify it as being there in contrast to being someplace else. At the risk of understating, this presence seems more like a loving condition that permeates existence and from which all existence springs. The feeling of safety is definitely connected here, in that I know that no evil or harm can befall me, that each of my choices will yield benefits, and that this loving condition upholds me in all of my ways. As in life, I was always aware of an underlying melancholy. I am here always delightfully conscious of an extraordinary sense of safety that leads, say, to heroic acts and courage, naturally. There is the constant feeling that the universe is with me, for me, and with and for all others at the same time. Not only does it not conspire against me, but it lends its active support. This willingness to help is everywhere apparent and promotes, of course, a sense of ease that at the same time stimulates the personality's abilities in ways most difficult to describe. All theological and intellectual theories are beside the point in the reality of this phenomenon. I know that this presence or loving condition forms itself into me and into all other personalities, that it lends itself actively to seek my good in the most particular and individual ways. I begin the book after the excerpt with David's obit that I wrote. Those of you who knew David know his sense of humor. And so I start this obit with his last joke on me and his mother, his dog Barrett. I am 72 and Sarah is 67. Barrett has the energy of a nuclear explosion. He's big, his bark cracks glass, and understands the word no about as much as I understand Swahili. But he is the most loving dog I know and hasn't a mean bone in his body. He is a sweet boy, but damn, David, really? 
So on to the obit, which I would like to give the title Beautiful Boy, which is a book by David Sheff. David is our beautiful boy, and during his darkest of days, this is why we never abandoned him, never gave up on him, never. <clears throat> As a child, David was much like Barrett. Turn your back on him, and he was gone, curious about everything. I want to see, I want to see, always said twice, always. His hair was platinum blonde then, and fine as silk. Now it is Viking red. Funny how that works. Sarah loved long hair, and so David had long hair. As a child, he wore it like a Sumerai ponytail, until when, in the second grade, the class bully taunted him about it. Sarah got the call. He punched out the bully and made him cry. David was fearless. He eventually became friends with the bully, and the bullying stopped. This was our beautiful boy. By fourth grade, he was reading Stephen King, all of Stephen King. There should have been a clue in that, but we didn't catch it. David's intellect was apparent early. He was built for our system of education. If he read it, he understood it and remembered it. Learning came easily for him, and so he flew through school. Soccer was his sport, and as a child, his team was one of the best in the state. But for most of his teammates, burnout set in and deprived NFA of a treasure trove of talent. I was a runner, and so he entered my world of cross country. He had good cardio, and like his mother, likes to tell him about many things, it's genetic. These things made life easy for David, but in time he chose the most dark of journeys. It was within this journey that David learned non-judgment and most importantly, compassion. Having experienced the deepest level of judgment and loathing, he chose their opposite. His intellect, curiosity, and athleticism is not what made David our beautiful boy. What made him such has been reflected in the hundreds of messages sent to Sarah and I on the effect David had on those he touched. Through everything, our beautiful boy was kind, compassionate, and open to everyone. If you were struggling, he was there for you. His laughter was infectious, and his smile seemed more warming than the sun. I suppose his mother and I instilled the basics, but his dark journey taught him how powerful acceptance, empathy, and compassion can be. When he came out of his darkness and back into the light of the living, we had our beautiful boy back, risen like the mythological phoenix, from the burning cauldron. He knew the history of those that entered, entered the cauldron, all for their own reasons. They bring something back, but the fire is always close behind. David's legacy are those he has touched in a way that may have changed them in ways they are not yet aware. 
The physical symbol of that legacy is a loving community he started with his friend Josh. That community is CrossFit Payback. You have, you have become the living symbol of David's spirit, determination, strength, acceptance, compassion, and inclusion. These traits are my beautiful boy. He is physically done here, but the seeds he has planted in us will grow if we tend to them. Now, I go to the forward. You might be wondering how I could be writing this book for my son David, who passed away on April 3rd, 2017, of a heroin overdose. Considering your cultural beliefs about reality and death, your curiosity and doubt is well placed. So, I want to try to make sense of it for you. In 1988, during my 43rd year, and one year after the birth of David, a series of events occurred that led me to question the nature of reality itself. Our understanding of it stopped making sense to me. I began remembering all of my dreams and learned how to interpret them. I read everything I could get my hands on about the nature of consciousness, including quantum physics, religion, out-of-body accounts, psychology, including the collected works of Carl Jung, mythology, specifically Joseph Campbell, and stories of remembered reincarnational lives and near-death experiences. What came of it all was a fundamental restructuring of my belief systems regarding life itself much of which I shared with David. Our conversations began in 2001, shortly after he turned 13, which we celebrated with a Native American sweat lodge ceremony, along with three of my closest male friends. One morning, when David was 14, he came downstairs in a state of great excitement. Because we had previously discussed the topic of out-of-body consciousness, I suppose he was somewhat prepared for what happened to him. Dad, he said, last night as I was falling asleep, my mind left my body. I was in my room watching myself fall asleep. I was literally not in my body. I got a little scared, and as soon as I did, I was back in my body. I share this with you here as an example of the pliability of David's mind. It was incredibly porous and open to new experiences and concepts. His drug addiction was four years away. It was a good time filled with hope for the future. David was brilliant, handsome, personable, and physically gifted the perfect cocktail of traits necessary to fulfill the American dream. Skipping ahead to 2015, David had been clean for three years. I was at work when our office nurse, Deb Boyle, approached me in my office. She seemed hesitant, but plowed ahead with what was on her mind. She had been with us for six months. She said she felt comfortable sharing 
what she had to say and that I would probably be open to hearing it. She told me that she is a sensitive, as I recall her description of herself. You may know the term as a psychic. She can see and interpret energy and told me that there is an energy field of someone who had passed following me around. It turns out that it was my best friend that died of pancreatic cancer in 2006. She told me things she could not possibly have known about my friend Steve and that he wanted me to contact another of my friends who he said was struggling. That she was able to do this and that the ability to do it existed did not surprise me in the least. Fast forward again to May of 2017, a month after David passed. Deb had moved to Florida a few months earlier, but before she left, she told me to call her any time. My wife, wanting assurances that David was okay, felt that now was the time. Among many things she told us, she was adamant that David wanted me to write a book about heroin addiction. He said it was important. There were many books already in print about heroin addiction and written by people far more expert in the field than I. It was not a topic I felt comfortable writing about, and so I didn't. She also said that David wants me to know that I was, I was right about everything. I had an idea what he was referring to, but I couldn't be sure at the time. I suspected it was about all the information I shared with him about my understanding of reality. In June of 2018, my wife Sarah and I were preparing for a trip to Topsail Island, North Carolina, where we spent many vacations with David and Jesse when they were children. In my previous conversation with Deb Boyle, she told us that David would like some of his ashes dispersed in two of his favorite places. One was on the hill where he grew up in Yantic, Connecticut, and where we still lived at the time of his passing. The other was Topsail Island, North Carolina, where we vacationed for several years when the kids were little. Some of his ashes had already been dispersed in the center of Burning Man Bonfire in Nevada by his best friend Zach. My memories of Topsail Island run deep. David and Jesse would scream with delight when I would throw them over the waves with their butts hanging below the inner tubes they floated upon. There was nothing about those years that could have foretold what the future would eventually bring. Sarah began making a Viking ship to launch into the ocean in which we would place a vessel containing some of David's ashes and light it on fire. I called Deb to have her contact David to update us on his thoughts. He liked the idea of the Viking ship, but again strongly reinforced his previous comments about writing the book. 
At the least, I decided, I will bring my laptop to Topsail Island and see how I felt about beginning a book in a place that was so important to David and to me. Topsail Island seemed the right place, as it was where I wrote my first book, Gideon McGee's Dream. We arrived at our rented beach house on Saturday, July 14, 2018. After unpacking our vehicle, I stepped onto the beach for the first time in nearly 20 years. The feeling of David's energy was overwhelming. In my head, I heard the words, The Horse Rode Me. It was the title of the book I suggested David write soon after he got clean. I knew in that moment I would write David's book and that his energy would filter through me into the words I typed into the laptop. What you are reading is this forward is the only part of the book that I directed consciously. This is to say that the content of the book came through David's energy that enveloped me as I wrote. I had no idea which direction the book would take. I merely sat at the keys and waited and went with whatever David guided me. I end this small contribution to The Horse Rode Me by sharing what happened with the launch of David's ashes. Sarah made the ship out of many layers of paper mache and coated each layer with waterproofing. David's sister, Jessie, did the artwork. It was a ship worthy of its intended task. From bow to stern, it was three feet long and one foot wide, with a dragon head rising above the bow and its tail raised high above the stern. It was just before dusk that we headed towards the waves. I had loaded the boat with flammable materials such as paper towels and fire starter blocks, then saturated it all with lighter fluid. I went first into the waves with an inner tube around my waist and one of the lighters with a long stem wrapped in a baggie and stuffed in my pocket. My best friend, Tom Lee, who had shared David's sweat lodge many years ago, followed behind holding the ship high above his head so as to avoid getting it wet. Our struggle to get the ship beyond the wave line was dicey. The ocean was rough and the undertow strong, but we made it. I moved the lighter and its waterproof baggie from my pocket. Tom was treading water, holding the boat steady. The lighter worked, but attempt after attempt to light all that combustible material failed. It should have exploded in napalm-like flame. A rogue wave eventually filled the ship with water. I removed the cloth which David's ashes resided and emptied it into the ocean. I looked down and David's ashes swirled around my body, embracing me as though intentional in a love I had not felt before. And then it was gone. I reached over and pushed the ship under the waves and made my way back to shore 
along with my buddy Tom. I thought I had sent David's Viking ship to Valhalla. After all, it was made of paper mache and should have been torn to pieces by the strength of the ocean. By the time I made it to shore, there was a bit of excitement on the beach about 200 yards from where we stood. David would not allow that ship to burn and to our amazement would not allow it to be destroyed. After pushing the ship to the bottom, it had somehow surfaced and rode a wave into shore completely intact. It came to a rest at the feet of a family down the beach. Tom ran to them, told them the story of the ship and David, and returned with the ship fully intact. The symbolism of all this was not lost on me. I dried off, entered the beach house, and opened my laptop. The horse rode me, began its entrance into our reality.